Good morning, Mercy Road. How's everybody feeling this morning? Everybody good? Yeah? Awesome. Can you guys do me a favor and help us welcome those who are watching online? Thank you so much. Come on, you guys welcome them. Thank you for watching being a part of this experience abroad, and uh, there are several other locations that are going on right now as we speak. How cool is that? And this room is packed, and so because this room is packed, can we ask if you are like on the margins, if you can kind of just move your way in a little bit. We've got some folks who are looking for seats, and so just go ahead and move your way in. This is an incredible problem to have, and it's so great to be here with you. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Davey. I'm just one of the, the teaching pastors here, and we are in a series right now called Spin, and the whole concept concept is that God can flip your story around. I'm not sure what you walked in here with, what kind of burdens or baggage or what kind of trial you experienced this past year, uh, what kind of decision you made that has marked your life, but I promise you, if you get nothing else in here today, you are sitting in the presence of a God, a God that we worship that can flip your story. He can take any single situation that looks beyond repair, and he can not just repair it, but he can completely restore it. Your decision does not have to define you. Come on, friends, your failure is not final. Do we believe that in here today? Is that something that we can take hold of? Come on, let's go, Mercy Rose. Is that something we can take hold of? And I wanna talk about that today. It's actually one of my favorite topics to talk about because I have a very, very tragic story. And God has written a beautiful redemption story in our lives. And people ask us, how do you get the redemptive story that God wants for your life? And this is what I tell them. This is what I want you to know. You have to position for redemption. Write that down. Position for redemption. Because listen to me, God is writing redemption stories. He is writing stories of reversal. He is a beautiful spin doctor. He loves to take the, what the enemy means for evil in your life and turn it around for good. But you could miss it if you're not positioned properly. I learned this when we went surfing last year. Anybody been surfing Raise your hand. I'm not talking about surfing the web. I'm talking about actual surfing, okay? We went surfing last year in San Diego, and Christy and I, this was a bucket list kind of thing. We wanted to go and, you know, just kind of learn how to do it. We had never done it before, so we had to take surfing lessons. And we show up. It was like a two-hour lesson. They said we were going to be able to surf, and there's five of us. We've got our boards right, and this girl walks up to instruct us, and you're going to think I'm exaggerating, but she completely fit the stereotype. San Diego, California, surfing. She walks up, and she goes, I'm so glad you're here today. Because we're going to learn how to catch some rad waves. I thought it was a joke. I started laughing. <laughs> oh, she's not joking. Oh. Uh, and she just continued with the bit, right? She's like, all you need to know is you just got to position yourself to catch the rad waves. I'm like, that's it? She's like, yeah, let's go. I'm like, no, 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 we want some lessons here. Like, can you show us, like, how to do this, right? She's like, all you need to know is position yourself to catch the rad waves. And I'm like, that's all. And so we grab our boards, and we start to, like, go over there. She's like, wait, I forgot to tell you something. I'm like, okay, here's where the instruction goes. She goes, make sure you shuffle your feet when you walk out there, because there's a lot of stingrays on the bottom of the ocean floor, and they hurt real bad. Oh, like, this is all we're getting for surfing instruction. Turns out she's right, though. In surfing, that's all you have to do is you have to position yourself. There's actually one little, like, spot in surfing. Maybe you've been body surfing, you know this, but you kind of get out past the waves. You've got to paddle out there, and the waves are kind of crashing in. You're like, how in the world am I going to catch these things, right? But if you go too far, then you miss the whole, you know, the whole phenomenon in the first place. You've got to find that one little sliver, that one little alley that you can kind of catch that wave before it breaks, and you turn and you face the waves coming on, and then you, then you just kind of flip over, 
and you ride the wave in. Now, I'm not going to say that I was a professional at it. <laughs> in fact, um, the, the first time I tried, I like tried to get up. And um, have you ever watched the like front load washer? You know, I know exactly how your clothes feel. Okay, <laughs> like just kind of turn. But eventually, we got up and we realized surfing's not that difficult. All you have to do is position yourself. Can I tell you something, friends? God's redemption story in your life, it's not that difficult. You just got to position yourself. And I want to talk to you about how to position yourself for the redemptive story. We're going to go through a story, and it's going to be, we're going to have to go through this lightning fast because I'm trying to cover an entire book of the Bible. You need to go read the book of Ruth when you leave from here to kind of get some of the details. But if you turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, I want to show you a beautiful redemption story and how we can position ourselves for God to flip our story. This is what it says in Ruth 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem. Bethlehem, does that sound familiar? It was the birthplace of Jesus. This is before Jesus was born there. So note that Bethlehem's a really important location in this story. Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So a man from Bethlehem, there's a famine, there's no food, so they go and they move over to Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. Say Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. Say Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. There's the second time the writer tells us they're from Bethlehem. This is important. Anytime you see repetition in scripture, lean in. It's important. It says, and they went to Moab, second time they told us Moab, to live there. Now, the original Jewish reader would have read this in those first two verses. They would have been like, oh my gosh, because this thing is laced. They would have leaned in. Why? Because there's so many names that are mentioned in this. What you have to understand about names in the Bible is names carry meaning. In fact, names are not just something they just kind of like, oh, we're going to plaster this name there because we think it sounds really cool, right? Like they, they prayed over the names, they named them, and those names were prophetic prescriptions for these people's lives. So you have to lean into the meaning of the names because the meaning of the names will have a, it'll be the two sides of the same coin. And, and when you see a name, you'll see the meaning of the name, and then the reader would say, okay, let's see which trajectory, the good side of the coin, the good side of the meaning, or the bad side will this character move in. And so we, we've got to look right here because there is a man, the first name that's mentioned here is Elimelech. Elimelech, his name means God is king. Now here's a problem with that. He just left the territory that God promised he would protect and provide, the promised land, he left that territory when things got difficult, when a famine came, and he went over to an enemy territory, a territory of God's enemies, Moab. Now you might say, well, it was because there was a famine, it was dry in Bethlehem, and so he was going to go over to Moab where there was some food. Here's the problem geographically with that. Moab is really close to Bethlehem, and it's actually drier than Bethlehem. Don't miss this. When things get dry in your life, it tests who sits on the throne of your life. Elimelech's name means God is king. But instead of trusting God at the throne of his life, he picks up his family, he goes over, and he actually strikes a strategic alliance with a different king, the king of Moab. And he says, hey, I think you can protect us and you can take care of us in this famine, and I want your granddaughters to marry my sons. Because my sons, to be honest with you, 
they're not really worth a whole lot. And I need someone else to protect us because God didn't give me really valuable sons. You see, Malon means um, invalid and Kilion means uh, wasting away. So he's got two sons that they're like, I don't know if they're like gonna make, they're gonna become something, so I need to protect my family by striking a strategic alliance with this enemy king and marrying his granddaughters off to my kids. Who, whom did Elimelech trust in time of famine? God or his own provision? And because he takes himself out, removes himself from the protection of God, tragedy strikes his life. Now, tragedy does not strike our lives because we take ourselves out of the protection of God. Tragedy happens because this world is sinful and it's broken. Life is difficult, but God is good. Life is full of tragedy, but Jesus said, take heart in the midst of sorrow because I've overcome the world. And when you and I are talking about seeing a redemptive story happen in our lives, we have to position ourselves in the things of God, the places of God, around the people of God, in order for us to overcome the tragedy that strikes our lives. And so we're going to find out here in a second how this whole thing kind of works out. But it says, if we go on in this passage, it says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Here's tragedy number one. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. Tragedy two and tragedy three. And so now you have Naomi, who is not only a widow, she's also lost her two sons and she has daughter-in-laws who are both widows. This could be called the story of three widows. Because in this story, we see three different decisions on how they're going to handle the tragedies. And it informs us how we can handle our trials, tragedies, and transitions as well. You see, um, the thing about the names... The trajectories of those names, what the Jewish reader and the Jewish listener would have known is that the power to determine which direction your life goes on that side of the coin of your name, it lies in your own hands. On how you're going to align yourself, and most importantly, whom you're going to align yourself with. You see, I need you to hear me say this. You and I, no matter what circumstances befall our life, we have a decision to make. We cannot control what happens to us, friends, but we always can control how we respond to what happens to us. So then we see that Naomi decides, it says this in verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So God comes through in Bethlehem. He comes through in the nick of time, which, by the way, God will come through in the nick of time. Sometimes it will seem like the 11th hour, but he will come through in your life if we wait and we trust in him. And sure enough, in Bethlehem, he comes through, and it says, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And basically, she says, hey, I'm going back to Bethlehem. There's no life for you guys anymore. This tragedy's hit our lives. I want you guys to go back to your own kingdom, your own world, Moab. And Orpah says, okay, I'll do that. And she goes back. But Ruth, she makes a different decision. It says this in verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Don't miss this. The first step of the redemptive process in Ruth's life is that she decided to attach herself to the things of God. That's the first step, to position herself with the things of God. She wasn't going to go to Moab. (laughs) 
She's not going to go back there. She's like, no, 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 no. I know. It's, it's dry in Moab too. I'm going to Bethlehem. I'm going to where the presence of God is. I don't even know this God, but I've heard Naomi, you talk about it. You seem to be strong even in the midst of this trial. So I'm, I'm going to tuck myself with you and I'm going to follow after where you're going. Your God will be my God. Your land will be my land. Friends, listen to me. Moab was drier. Bethlehem was dry, but Moab was drier. I think sometimes when things get dry in our lives, we begin to want to jump ship, don't we? We go, wait a minute, hold on, this marriage is dry. Hold on, this marriage is dry. So instead of really leaning into it and working on it and cultivating that dry soil to produce some fruit, we jump ship. And I promise you, jumping ship is always drier. We have the choice on whether we're going to go Bethlehem or Moab. You know, I don't know if anybody, do you guys like, anybody like wine? Can we admit that in church? Okay, okay. People are like, I just saw someone go like this. <laughs> we, went to, we went to Napa Valley in the same trip that we went surfing out in San Diego, and we learned something from the, the wine connoisseurs, the sommeliers there. They said that the best wine grows in dry and arid soil. Why? This is what they said. The vine has to struggle. Woo! What an amazing spiritual principle that sometimes our life gets dry and God will even allow our life to get dry. Why? Because the vine has to struggle. And Jesus said that he is the vine, we are the branches. If we stay connected to him, even in the struggle, we will bear much fruit. The best fruit is born in struggling arid soil. Don't jump ship to go into this other place because I promise it's drier. Orpah goes to this other place. Orpah's name means the back of the neck. She literally turned her back on God, and we're going to find out at the end of this what it ended up leading to in all of her, not just her life, but the life of her descendants. Three questions I need you to ask yourself when it comes to positioning yourself for a redemptive story. One, what new places do you need to immerse yourself in this year? What new places do you need to immerse yourself in this year? Not only was Moab this dry territory, this dry land, Moab was what scripture would say was just short of the promised land. I wonder how many of us, our lives are falling just short of what God's intentions are for our life because we're settling, because we're compromising, because we're settling for places and spaces that God doesn't reside to be able to kind of create some convenience and comfort in our own hearts. And I wonder what new places and spaces you need to step into that might be a little uncomfortable, might mean a little bit reorientation this year, but it positions you for redemptive purposes in God's life. Like maybe you, maybe you came to church last year and you were like a CEO Christian, like Chris, Christmas, Easter only, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you need to up that to 10 times this year in 2020. Just move that to 10 times. Why? Because this is a space, friends, in the body of Christ gathering together to worship where your faith can be built up, where the, the Bible says that God's presence inhabits the praises of his people. Like you can watch at home in your PJs. I love the convenience of, you know, watching online and stuff. We were in Fort Lauderdale last week. We got to watch online and see the beginning of this series. And that's awesome for those times that you're away. But what if you made it a priority to be at church every single Sunday this next year? How would your life change? Well, Davey, I've got, you know, kids got travel ball and all this kind of stuff. Hey, is travel ball going to help your kid when his life falls apart later? I'm sorry, did I press in a little bit too You see, I I played baseball growing up, 
and I played travel ball, and one of the things my dad said is he told our coaches, he said, on a game on Sunday, Davey's going to be at church, and he'll join you after church. Man, I was frustrated about that at first, but can I tell you something? All of my teammates, all the coaches there, they were like, you're ruining your kid's life. Um, none of my teammates went on to play college ball. I got a full-ride scholarship to play. Now, I'm not saying that happens for everybody, but I am saying that I believe God prioritized the right, or my dad prioritized the right thing in our family's life, and God honored that because he positioned himself for redemption and positioned his family for redemption. And now, friends, I've got deposits in my life that when my life began to fall apart, my, my foundation didn't fall apart. Why? Because I was at church every single Sunday. What would it look like if you put yourself in spaces where God's presence can move in your life? It's positioning yourself for redemption. Maybe, maybe this year you've got to like, I don't know, maybe you need to quit your job because it's a toxic work environment because your boss is asking you to do something shady. Maybe instead of like singles, instead of looking for your person at the bars, at the club, maybe you need to join an outpost or look for your person somewhere where God's presence is because ultimately you don't want to wind up with that person who is not propelling you toward Christ. Yeah, but he's so cute, Davey. <laughs> Listen, missionary dating doesn't work. <laughs> Listen, God, it's really hard to make him cute. It's much easier to make him godly. You make him cute, I'll make him godly. <laughs> it doesn't work. What if you position yourself in different spaces this year, friends? How might God redeem your story? You have the choice on whether you're going to position yourself or not. The second question you have to ask is what new people do you need to surround yourself with this year? What new people do you need to surround yourself with this year? I love this because Ruth begins to surround herself with a certain type of people. And we'll read this. I'll explain it to you. Ruth 2, verse 1 through 3 says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz means strength. Keep that in mind. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. I need to stop right here because this was a practice that, and a provision that was made in the Hebrew law that if there were aliens or orphans or widows, they would be allowed to go through the fields and pick up the gleanings after the harvest. So in this agrarian culture, the farmers were actually told, hey, don't pick up everything, leave some, so that the people who don't have family, don't have a way to be provided for, they can come through and, and they can take some of this stuff. And so this orphan and widow, they, uh, Ruth, she goes, you know what? I see that field over there and there's a lot of people working that field who are, who are strong people. And she had no idea that the field was owned by a name by a man named Boaz, who means, whose name means strength, and he had created a culture of strength. All she did was she gravitated to this field where there was a culture of strength. Here's my question. What new people do you need to surround yourself with this year? Because I have a feeling that there, if you look around at the people you're surrounding yourself with, they're, they're not people of strength. There's some toxic people. There's some people that are full of negativity, people full of unwholesome talk. People full of gossip, 
Hey, I hate to break it to you. If someone is gossiping to you about someone else, you can bet they're gossiping about you to someone else. Maybe, maybe the people that you're surrounding yourself with needs to shift and change this year in order to position yourself for a redemptive story. Dave Ramsey says that you are the average of the 10 closest people to your life. You want to know what your life's going to look like in five years? Look at the 10 closest people to your life. They'll either raise you up or they'll bring you down. So maybe you need to reposition. Maybe this is why you need to join an outpost this year. Maybe, maybe every week for the past year or something, God's been pressing into you, get in biblical community, getting people that can life on life begin to stir you up and spur you on and, and you just push back against it, push back against it and maybe this is the year for you to begin to join a community of people that can begin to strengthen you and raise you up and point you to Jesus in the midst of your trial. I promise you, you cannot do this life alone. What, what people do you need to surround yourself with. And the third one is this, what promises do you need to embrace for yourself this year? What promises do you need to embrace for yourself this year? Now, prior to Ruth going and working this field, which, by the way, can I repeat that? Ruth worked this field. One of the things that I find in, in, in a lot of people's life when it comes to faith and when it comes to kind of trusting God for a redemptive story is we, we mistake the fact that um, faith is an action. You, you understand that? People will tell me, well, I just, I don't know. I wish I had the faith that you have. I wish I had the faith that God could do something great in my story. Faith is not just this belief. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not something you just kind of like hope that you kind of get downloaded on, right? Hope that in the moment you got it, faith is an action, Faith is the gap between what you feel and what you know as fact. Faith happens when you see a problem in your life, and instead of trusting in or focusing on the problem, you choose to trust in and focus on the promises of God. That's where faith comes in. Faith is when we step into the promises of God, even though we feel something else. Naomi doesn't do this. Ruth's mother-in-law, she does something different. And it limits her from being able to see a full redemptive process in her own story. This is what it says. When they showed up to Bethlehem, it says the two women went on. They went to Bethlehem. They arrived in Bethlehem. Verse 20, they asked, is this Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means sweet and pleasant. They were so excited to see her. They're like, oh my gosh, she's so bubbly. She's so sweet. She's so encouraging. She's so amazing. She's got so much faith. And she goes, don't call me Naomi because of this tragedy that's happened in my life. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She chose to take her tragedy and instead of letting it refine her, she chose to make it define her. She put a label on it. How many times do we do this, friends? We say things like, you know, I'm, I'm widowed. I'm divorced. I'm unemployed. I'm anxious. I'm fearful. I'm depressed. And we take this identifier, I am, 
and we attach it to a situation. Friends, you are not depressed. You have feelings of depression, but you are so much more than your feelings. If you are in Christ, friends, you are a new creation. And although you may feel despondent, you may feel depressed, the promises of God speak a better word over your current circumstance. The promises of God say that he will never leave you or abandon you. You might feel alone, but you're not. Come on, you might feel anxious, but the promises of God in Isaiah 43 say that though you walk through the waters, they will not overcome you. Though you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. What if we focused on the promises of God this year and labeled ourselves with the promises of God, not our own problems? This is what worship is. Worship is us going, God, I feel this right now, but I am choosing to trust this. That's not what Naomi did. She said, I'm, I'm bitter. And this label became a limiter in her redemption story. I don't want labels to become a limiter in your redemption story. You know why? Because someone purchased naming rights for you. Did you know that Baker's life is this year, potentially the name is going to change? You know how all that works, right? 20 years ago, this company called Conseco and one of their subsidiaries actually purchased the naming rights for the field house. And this year, they're negotiating who's going to take on these new naming rights for this. I think Mercy Road should. Come on, somebody. Mercy Road Field House. Let's go, right? Just a cool $40 million, no bigs, right? They purchased the right to name it. 2,000 years ago, this man named Jesus walked the earth. And he paid a price for you. And he went to the cross so that your story did not have to end in tragedy and death because then he got up from the grave. And by going to the cross and then defeating death with the resurrection, he purchased naming rights for you. So, so you don't have to label yourself by your situation. You are labeled by your Savior. Come on, somebody. Then he gave you and I the ability to choose how we label things. Because at the beginning of time, he gave Adam dominion over the earth. And the purpose, the mission he gave Adam was naming the animals. He that names has dominion. (laughs) Woo! You want to change your circumstance? Change your situation? Don't name it by your problem. Name it by the promises of God. Mara names it by her problem. (sighs) But Ruth doesn't. And this is where the redemption sets in. It says in verse 6 of chapter 3, Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. So she finds this guy, Boaz. It's funny, when she was working the fields, it literally says, it happened to be the field of Boaz. You ever have situations where you look back and you go, oh, it happened to be, like it's some kind of coincidence? It just happened to be, you know, in the Hebrew language, there's no word for coincidence. And the Hebrew people believe what, you know, the Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew. The Hebrew people believe that if there's no Hebrew word for it, it doesn't exist. Because the Hebrew people, they hold on to there's no coincidence in life. It's all God's providence. So it just so happened to be that he, she was working in the field of this man named Strength, who happened to be the only one that could actually redeem her and purchase her back and give her a new life. Woo! What if you started looking for these things in your own story, these happen-to-be type moments? 
It says she goes down to the threshing floor and watch this. This is huge. He was asleep. And it says Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. Now, it might be like, oh, maybe his feet got cold. The Hebrew uncovered his feet actually means uncovered his, sorry, this is, uncovered his circumcision. That's what it actually means. If you're not, if you don't understand what circumcision is, Pastor Eric, our worship leader, would love to explain it to you afterwards, okay? (laughs) There's something powerful in here because circumcision was the covenantal promise between God and his people that made the provision that God would always redeem the story. And Ruth is going in. There's nothing sexual about this. There's nothing inappropriate about this. She's going in. She uncovers his circumcision to remind him, Boaz, you made a promise with God. Ruth, no matter what her circumstances were, no matter what her tragedy was, she held on to the fact that God made a promise for her. And that even if she had to clutch it until she died, she was going to hang on to that promise and see it through. She wasn't going back to Moab. Boaz responds to this, and he purchases the rights to redeem her and bring her into a family, showing us a little snippet of what Jesus has done for us. What's really cool is that Ruth, this girl who should have never even been written about in Scripture because she was living among the people of the enemies of God. She, she's, a, she's a widow and an alien, and she becomes one of the most famous great-great-grandmothers of all time. Who was the most famous king, would we say, of Israelite history? Say it. Who is David, fantastic name, if we're talking about names here, by the way. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Such bad jokes. She was the great-great-grandmother of David. Whatever happened to Orpah? Well, Orpah, the back of the neck, one who turned her back on God, decided to go back to Moab. History tells us, the Bible's not going to actually say this, but the Jewish Midrash, the historical documents of Jewish rabbis, tells us that she had four great-great-grandsons. All four of them, were giants. One of them named, can you guess it? Goliath. So Orpah, who chose to not put herself and position herself around the people of God and the places of God and holding on to the promises of God, she produced something, but she produced this ever-increasing animosity against God in her family that would continue to prevail and fight against God's people. But Ruth produced David, who would defeat Goliath, and ultimately in that lineage came Jesus. Now you tell me your story can't be redeemed. Go ahead, hold it up. Tell me. Tell me. Just go ahead and try to, because God can take every single circumstance and story and flip it around. Praise God. 
but you gotta position yourself. And the first step is trusting Jesus, the one who died for you, to save you, redeem you. Can we do this? Can we stand together? I wanna, I wanna pray for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't, I don't say this often, but I just sense just a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit here. That there's somebody in here that God has been calling and wooing and trying to, trying to get your attention to help you know that he loves you. He's not out to get you back for anything. <laughs> He wants to bring you back into relationship with him and he sent his son Jesus to die for you, to pay the ultimate price, to redeem you and change your story. And he wants you to put your trust in him today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know that today you need to put your trust in Jesus and hold on to him in the midst of your circumstances, would you just, right where you are, would you just call out to him, say this after me, say, dear Jesus, I need you. I trust you. I can sense that you have been calling me, that you have a plan for my life. I need to ask for your forgiveness of my sins. I need to ask that you would change my trajectory and change my destiny and make me into a new person. I want to trust in you today, Jesus. In your name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you, if you prayed that with me in your heart, would you just put your hand up in the air and show me just right where you are? Amen. 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 You can put your hands down. Again, I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we're going to sing this song. That It's a new song. You may have heard it on the radio or you may know it, but it's a song that talks about how the enemy means evil for our lives, but God turns it around for good. And if we hold on to the promises of God, if we hold on to that trust in him, that he's going to do something profound in our stories. And so, so God, as we sing this, as we call out to you, as we worship, as we, as we sing praise in the midst of our problems, as we hold on to your promises, would you show up and would you meet us in ways that only you can? Would your presence just be here to minister? We hold on to you, Jesus. We trust in you. And we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.